0: Why don't we start with prayer? Father in heaven, what a blessing it is to be your church, to sing praises to the name of our Savior Jesus, who substituted himself to redeem us, Lord, through the glorious work of the cross. Thank you for the blood of Christ that brings us forgiveness of our sins and put us in a right standing with our God. Lord, today we pray that you would speak until your church is built and the whole earth is filled with your glory. Lord, today we pray that you would cause your words from your word to come alive. And Lord, we pray that it would bear fruit, and we pray that you would expand your kingdom as a result. We gladly serve you. We gladly sing praises to our wonderful King. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew 21 today, and just want to Start, though, in Proverbs 24. So don't go to Proverbs, go to Matthew. Uh, Proverbs 24, I know you're familiar with this passage. The student of God's wisdom says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected on it, I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. This proverb that we're so familiar with teaches us about the destructive effects of laziness and the wisdom of regular maintenance, steadfastness of labor. Anybody in here a gardener? Any gardeners in here? Yeah, some? Well, I think gardening has to be a labor of love. Gardens take a lot of maintenance. You have to love it. You know, from my perspective, they take a lot of time away from fishing. And so <laughs> probably, uh, so you have to love it if you're going to garden it. And, and, but although you could, it could be that gardening is the secret to eating more veggies, you know, because you, you, you grow this garden and you feel guilty if you don't eat it. And so, uh, and plus, you get to leave zucchini everywhere. So, uh, you know, this morning we can be thankful that our Father in heaven is a really good gardener. In fact, he's the gardener, he's the sovereign gardener, he's the supreme gardener. Our Father in heaven is the type of gardener who would do whatever it takes for his garden or his vineyard, he would do whatever it takes for it to bear the right kind of fruit. In the days of Isaiah, uh, in the reigns of kings Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, Isaiah prophesied of some gardening activity coming in the form of God's judgment against Judah and Israel through the drastic pruning process of invading enemy nations, namely Assyria and Babylon. God had given hired workers, ethnic Israel, stewardship of his vineyard, and he expected them to develop a fruitful garden, and he wanted it to produce a lot of veggies, a lot of people, you know, kind of like the same way in centuries before, you might remember back to the Garden of Eden, God had entrusted Adam to be fruitful and multiply, right, Produce a lot of fruit and spread the image of God in created man all over the planet, people bearing the image across the globe. But the image we know became marred back then, and the gardening was stalled. Adam, in a sense, folded his hands, went in for the long nap, and he went bankrupt. So God called a nation, and he set them on a pathway of spreading the word, because when the word spreads, the kingdom spreads, and his his vineyard, his garden grows. But because of their unfaithfulness to the Mosaic covenant, their laziness, their sleep, their slumber, their folding of their hands to rest, their poverty came upon them as a robber. The vineyard was producing worthless, emaciated, bitter, and sour grapes under their care. So the Lord decided to prune his vineyard, really prune it, way, way back to the stump, the very holy seed, to the very remnant of faithful ones who would be preserved. Listen to all this play out as I read to you some verses from Isaiah 5. Isaiah is almost singing a judgment song to God. He writes and says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done with it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it to waste. It will not be pruned or hoed. But briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. And he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. This morning we're on our way to Matthew 21, but this passage in Isaiah 5 is so helpful for us in interpreting what we're going to see when we get there. Let's notice some really simple things here in Isaiah. First of all, it was by God's sovereign hand that his vineyard even came to be. God created the vineyard. He's the one who prepared it, and he did everything necessary for a fruitful harvest of good grapes, a harvest of of souls living out justice and righteousness. But because of their unfaithfulness, the garden didn't yield good grapes, but it only yielded worthless ones. Sinful people, full of bloodshed, and all God could hear were cries of distress. The people he'd put in charge of the vineyard were unfaithful stewards. In Isaiah 65, I don't have it on the screen, but just listen, the owner of the vineyard God himself, he says, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face, he says, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh. And the broth of unclean meat is in their pots. Who say, keep to yourself and do not come near me, for I am holier than you. He says, these are smoke in my nostrils. A fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will even repay into their bosom both their iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together, says the Lord. Because they have burned incense on the mountains. And scorned me on the hills, therefore I will measure their former work into their bosom. Israel's leaders had folded their hands to rest. And their poverty was coming upon them. The vineyard was full of nettles and thistles. Its wall was broken down. And they not only had led their people astray, but they refused to obey the one who'd called them to actually expand the kingdom. Yet instead, they joined the evil causes of other earthly kingdoms. They were unfaithful stewards, and they served other gods, small g, fake gods. R.C. Sproul says well in the Reformation Study Bible, it says, The Lord's people are his vineyard, yet those he has placed in leadership over the vineyard have neglected and abused it. Not being satisfied with the produce from the vineyard, the Lord plans drastic action to bring about the correct harvest, the harvest of God. Back again to Isaiah 5, Yahweh himself. He says, so now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed. Briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. Remember, Israel was under the Mosaic covenant, the covenant where your obedience is reflected, for example, in whether it rains or not. Deuteronomy 11, 16 says he, he says to Israel, he says, beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground won't yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. Listen this morning. Be convinced. Just hear with your ears that the Lord will have his fruitful vineyard. He will make it happen so he takes drastic measures in bringing nations against his people to serve as master pruners. But this time, looking clear forward, beyond the pruning of Assyria, beyond the cutting that he does with Babylon, the garden maintenance work becomes so severe, not with pruning shears this time, but with with, with an axe, says John the Baptist. Nothing but a stump, is going to remain now. The stump of Jesse, the greater son than King David, was on the way. A greater kingdom was coming. Isaiah 11 says that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There's a new king coming. This branch, this stump from Jesse will bring a kingdom of justice and righteousness and spread it all over the planet as in the regenerating new birth of all those who see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His kingdom come. His will be done. Let's turn to Matthew 21 now. Jesus, God's wisdom in human flesh, the opposite of the sluggard in Proverbs 24, brings this same imagery right into his kingdom gospel of Matthew. Just like with Israel and Judah at the time of Isaiah, proclaiming that God was bringing destructive judgment against them as a massive pruning work, Jesus prophesies here in Matthew 21 about the wretched end of a corrupt system and a removal of wretched and corrupt leaders who were assigned to care for the father's vineyard, yet like all those before, clear back to Adam, like we've discussed, abandoned their post in self-interest. Now the true vine of Yahweh's vineyard, the branch from the stump, the remnant, Institutes his own proper care through the new covenant in his own blood. And through his cross, he's going to bless the earth with the new wine, the good produce from his kingdom. Within a generation of Jesus' prophetic parable here in Matthew 21 that we're going to read in a moment, not one stone of the temple was left standing upon another. The whole system was destroyed. He put an end to the Mosaic sacrifice, just as Daniel said he would. And by his own once-for-all sacrifice, he brought in a new covenant in his own blood. Praise the Lord. His garden it will not be overgrown with nettles and thistles it will bear lasting fruit look at matthew 21 now jesus speaking to israel's leaders here in verse 33 he says to them listen to another parable there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And then when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. There's a battle for souls here in Matthew 21, a battle for an inheritance of people. And it's a lopsided battle. For years, these vine growers who were expected to produce fruit, produced a profit, but instead were act, they were acting like corrupt sharecroppers because of their own evil hearts, had, their stewardship had turned into kind of a forum for self-exaltation. They had a kind of a little kingdom of their own. They didn't want to give up their authority to anyone else. Of course not to God, who they pretended to serve. They had a good thing going in their mind. They were in league with Rome, bowing to the earthly authorities, paying them often a sense to keep their own false sense of authority and security in place. They had turned the house of the Lord into a place of business. They were making good money. They put people under bondage, put them under unmanageable burdens to keep the money coming. By the way, that happens today. Watch TBN. Better yet... Don't waste your time there, watch American Gospel, and you'll see it called out. And they would travel around on sea and land to make proselytes, and when they finally recruited one, they made him twice as much a son of hell as they were. Their stewardship was marked by bad fruit, bad grapes. In fact, we know good trees produce good fruit, and bad trees produce bad fruit, they were a bad tree with no fruit. They were like the fig tree, just a few verses before our passage. Look up to Matthew twenty-one nineteen. It says, Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. As a Mosaic covenant repercussion for fruitlessness, a curse was brought against these covenant breakers and their fig tree was about to be permanently withered. Again, from Deuteronomy 11, just to see the connection in verse 26, uh, Moses says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. A regime change was taking place in Matthew. A higher authority was on the cusp of his coronation. A change of covenants was taking place. Back to our passage in Matthew 21 again. Listen from verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive the produce, his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed the other and stoned a third. He sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. This vineyard, as we have seen, is the kingdom of God. It's his land. He rented his vineyard out to vine growers in the NASB or tenants in the ESV or farmers in the NIV. Harvest time was approaching. The fields were ripe. And the landowner sent his slaves to get the profit, to get the harvest, but they didn't want to hand it over. So instead, of the tenants beat and wounded and even killed the slaves, the prophets of the Lord. You can see one of many examples of this in 2 Chronicles 36, where it says the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they continually mocked. The messengers of God despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people until there was no remedy. No remedy. In the same way, in First Kings, Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, destroyed prophets of the Lord. In Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah was beaten and put in stocks. In 2 Chronicles 24, Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest, was stoned to death. So look back at verse 37. But afterward he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. Yet the Apostle John reminds us that he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. In fact, he grew up before his father like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of, or majesty that any of us should look at him and no beauty that we would even desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we didn't esteem him at all. Back to verse 38. Remember, this was before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus continued the parable. And he said, but when the vine growers saw the sun, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. But it turns out the death of the landowner's son became the blessing of nations that we've been singing about all morning. And He purchased a harvest far beyond what the tenants could have ever imagined as they sharecropped in an evil way. Listen to the Song of the Saints in Revelation 5. It says, Then they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Can you see that he takes care of business? People from Africa and Iceland and even people from Idaho. The Lord will have his fruitful vineyard. The harvest is people and Christ will have the prize for which he died. We've been singing that all morning. So, Jesus says in verse 40 Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those vine growers? What would you do with the vine growers? Maybe a better question is how valuable is the inheritance? To what end would you go for the fullness of this harvest? The question here in verse 40 is, what will he, the landowner, do to those vine growers? The landowner, the guy who owns all the property, the one who rented the vineyard out to the farmers. Is this just like some sort of a side venture he's working on, like a hobby vineyard or something? Maybe a little investment on the side to put some money in his pocket? I don't think so. Ephesians 5 helps us a little by adding a more significant purpose for the landowner in making sure that he has a fruitful vineyard. The Apostle Paul uses our marriages as imagery for Christ and his church. In verse 25, Paul writes and says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might... Present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I want us to look really closely and see today that the fruit of the landowner's vineyard is the careful preparation of a bride for his son. In fact, in the context, the very next parable in Matthew 21 is about a wedding. The vineyard's fruit is a bride, the church. Back in our Matthew 21 passage, notice in verse 40 that Jesus asks the literal tenant farmers that the parable points to, the leaders of the Jews, the chief priests and Pharisees, what the landowner will do with the tenant farmers, the people who he's speaking to. Kind of weird, and by the providence of God in a sense they picked their own judgment. Look what they say. They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. This came out of their mouth. And that's exactly what happened, like we discussed earlier. Within the same generation, he actually did bring those wretches to a wretched end. Their whole system was completely destroyed. Not one stone left standing upon another. And he has now rented out the vineyard to vine growers who will pay him proceeds in the proper seasons. He's renting it out to us. The church, whose head is Christ, the heir of all things, and like any bride whose husband receives an inheritance, you and I share in his inheritance. We enjoy the benefits of his riches, the proceeds of the Father's vineyard. Again, back for some help from Ephesians. Look at chapter, don't go there, but I'll read from you chapter 1. Verse 11, it says, also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And then in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory and of his inheritance in the saints? The produce from the vineyard is hearts, souls. Here's a second point. The fruit of the landowner's vineyard is the inheritance for his son's possession. And you and I, the new vine growers, so to speak, are stewards of his inheritance to nurture its growth and make sure that all the fruit is fully prepared and to reap the fullness of the harvest that he set apart. Are you fruit from his vineyard? Are you produce from his garden? Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3: he says, I planted, Apollos water, watered, but God makes the fruit grow. This is a vineyard, after all. Are you born of the Spirit this morning? Did your heart leap to life when he called your name that day? Are you obedient from your heart? The parable just before this one in in verse 28 of Matthew 21 tells of a man with two sons. He asked one of the sons one morning to go out and work in his vineyard. The kid said he wouldn't do it. He got to thinking about it and after a while he just really regretted telling his dad that so he actually did go out. And work then he talked to another son this son said sure sir I'll go he never got up never went the fruit of our lives tells the story of our obedience to the gospel which son are you today What type of steward are you in God's vineyard? To the people paying lip service, to the landowner, to the father, Jesus said in verse 31 up above our passage, he says, truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. the dregs of humanity, the outcasts of society who nevertheless trust on the Son will enter the kingdom of God before the corrupt sharecroppers will ever get in. Who are you? Back to our passage. Again, Jesus asks the corrupt stewards of the kingdom What should be done with the corrupt stewards of the kingdom? And of course, we know they pronounced their own judgment on themselves merely by opening their mouths, but they didn't understand that they were the man, so to speak. They were the point of the parable. So in verse 42, the Lord says to them, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Did you ever read that? They thought they'd been in authority all this time. But one was standing in front of them with supreme authority. The branch himself out of the stump of Jesse, the true vine of John 15, the very one who owns the eternal throne of David and will establish it and uphold it in justice and righteousness, unlike how they've been ruling, this same one is taking the kingdom away from their stewardship and handing it to a holy nation. Bearing vineyard fruit. Listen to verse 43, Jesus says to them, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, literally a nation, producing the fruit of it. The leaders of Israel have been fired. And the new people gathered from many nations, a planet-wide vineyard are being brought together as one holy nation under the kingship of the Son who is the heir of all things. Remember, Peter said, he said, you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. Maybe a third thought today, the fruit of the landowner's vineyard is the Israel of God, those alive by the Spirit throughout the ages, the the Jerusalem from above, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the true Mount Zion from Hebrews 12. Isaiah 2 verse 2 says that it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Even hundreds of millions of Christians from China, in Africa, in America, even from Idaho, all streaming to the true Mount Zion. The fruit of the landowner's vineyard is the glory of God spread across the planet. Hebrews 1.2 says the Son is the heir of all things. He gets it all. Just like was commanded to Adam in the garden to spread throughout the whole planet, but he didn't do it, now the second Adam will accomplish it all. It's way bigger than merely the land of Israel now. The vineyard is bearing fruit from everywhere. Back to our passage. Jesus continues saying to the corrupt farmers, Verse forty-four, he says, "He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust." Isaiah himself prophesied this very thing, and Isaiah eight it says, "He shall become a sanctuary, but to those—excuse me—to bo- but to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike, and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them." They will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Jesus is the ruler and the overcomer of the kingdoms of the earth. The Jewish leaders of his day weren't interested in his kingdom, so theirs was crushed. In fact, Daniel himself prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, and he said, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left to another people it will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it, it but it will itself endure forever one kingdom left to fill the entire planet a planet-wide holy temple in the lord looking back at the end of our passage israel's leaders got what he was saying they understood Look at verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood what he was speaking about to them. They understood that he was speaking directly to them. From the barren fig tree, to the two sons, to the beloved's vineyard, all of them, each of them incriminated the unfaithful stewardship of a corrupt system that was based on a covenant that was passing away. Remember, Jesus himself said, Behold, I am making all things new. In verse 46, when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. Can you see this morning that the Lord will have his fruitful vineyard. Amen. A bride is being prepared for the son. The fruit of the vineyard is the son's possession. It's his. He owns it all. The vineyard is the Israel of God, the spiritual regenerate from all time, so that the knowledge of the glory of God will spread across the planet. And in closing here, we see two types of vineyards this morning. The vineyard of the man lacking sense, completely overgrown with thistles, its surface covered with nettles, and its stone wall broken down. It's the vineyard of a sluggard, sleepy, slumbering, impoverished. But we also see the vineyard of the sun, the beloved's vineyard, healthy, healthy. Abounding with new growth, victorious, secure, overcoming, fruitful, full of justice and righteousness. What kingdom, what vineyard are you from? What vineyard do you work in with your stewardship this morning? Are you standing in my beloved's vineyard today? Because when he speaks, the sound of his voice is so sweet. The birds hush their singing. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, no one has, uh, other has ever known. Will you come into the vineyard of my beloved? Will you bow down before his throne this morning? Will you yield your life to his lordship? Trust in his cleansing blood. Come and die so you can live. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the blessing of life, luscious green life in the sun in the vineyard of your son, the, my beloved's vineyard. Thank you for this wonderful existence in your kingdom. Lord, use us, use Hayden Bible Church to expand it, to grow it, to nurture life, Lord, to, to take it outside these walls, outside of Idaho even. Lord, I, we pray that this, this kingdom, this, this fruitful work will expand all over the planet to your glory so that people from every nation are praising the great name of Jesus Christ.